I'm going to talk to you today, continue to talk to you today about the subject that I, I, I um, raised last week, and that's uh, whose stuff is it? Now, remember last week we talked about this whole idea of ownership, this whole idea of who, belong, who, who owns the stuff that I have. We raised the question because we, we're traveling through the Word Wise program and we, we were reading in, in Luke chapter 16. And, and he begins this whole discussion with a, um, with a, um, a steward or a manager of, of a rich man's goods who hasn't been faithful or hasn't been good with the goods. And uh, so the, manager come, the, the, the owner comes to the manager and says, look, you're going to have to give an account because you've been wasting my goods. Now, when we read that passage of Scripture, we, we, we always have to put things in context. So what's the context of this story that, that uh, Jesus is presenting to us? Well, he's actually talking to a whole lot of Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones that were dressed in the long robes. They are the ones who operated the temple and they are the ones who looked after the sacrifices. They would sell you the right sacrifice and take your sacrifice away. They were the ones that were making a lot of money out of the, the business of religion. And they were the ones who were considered to be the managers who were not doing the right thing with God's goods. So Jesus was addressing the religious leaders of the day, telling them, you know what, guys, you were given a task to do and you didn't do it properly. This task is now being checked on. You have not been faithful with the goods that you have. And he starts to talk about their stewardship or their ownership. We take it on a broad base and we say, in a, in a way, he talks to everybody because it's the same for everybody, you know. And then he mentions these verses. And we read these verses in Luke chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he's talking to these people and say, you're either serving God or you're serving money. So, I mean, if you're watching televangelism, sometimes you get, you know, these people are just serving money. They're just looking up, you know, you can seed faith this and you can send your last dollar and God will multiply it and he'll bring it back to you and you'll get it back. And they're driving their jets and they're, 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 they're living right on the top. And, and people are very, very poor, but they've got millions of dollars flooding in because they're serving the dollar. He says, you can't, you can't serve God and you can't serve money. It's impossible to do that. He says, you're going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to despise one and you're going to serve the other. He says, and the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. Everybody look at the neighbor and put a sneering face on. Turn to your neighbor and sneer. Not nice. It's usually, I mean, if you, if you look, it's usually you lift your head a little bit, you look down your nose and go, Ugh, oh, that's the sneer. So they looked at Jesus and it has, a, it has this sort of feeling behind it, a feeling of loathing, a feeling of a disrespect, a feeling of hatred that's just there. The sneer comes from a heart attitude that says, I detest what you're saying. I don't respect what you're saying. I think that what you're saying is nonsense. So if your children, if you start to sneer at your parents, you get the picture of what's happening. You're actually saying, non-verbally, you're saying, I don't like you very much, mother. I don't like you very much, father. It's not a good look for a child to sneer at their parents. Amen? It's better if the parents are looking at their children and the children look, whatever you want, mother dear. That's what we want to hear, isn't it? 
Amen. <laughs> so the sneer is, a, is to deride, is to turn up the nose, is to look at, to scoff. It's a contemptuous mocking look. And that's what they were doing to Jesus. That's what they're doing to our Lord. They were looking at him and they were sneering at him as though he was saying something that was completely out of, out of, out of sight. He says, they were sneering at him and he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Uh, you know, when you get in a crowd and all the crowd are saying the same thing, it's very easy to feel like you've got support. You know, if you uh, talk to the kids at school and everybody at school says it's okay to do this and you talk to your mother and, and the father and she says, no way, and dad says, no, that's not going to happen here. And then you think, well, and you've got bulk support from all the kids at schools telling you that's what everybody's doing and you're so in the past. That's the sneering thing that's happening there. And you justifying yourself because you think amongst yourself you've got the wisdom to round off at your mum and dad. And Jesus says, take a step back and think about this. If everybody else is saying it's all all right and your mum and dad are saying, "Uh uh-uh, steady up, then it's probably wise to recognise that that which is highly esteemed amongst everyone else is detestable before God. Teenage years often come with the whole idea that we can do as we please. You know, and mum and dad really haven't been there before. They were never teenagers. There was no such thing as alcohol when mum and dad were around. And if there was, they never had any of it. There was no such thing as boyfriend-girlfriend relationships when mum and dad were around. If, they, if there would have been, they wouldn't have known anything about it anyway. They were so narrow. Probably untrue because probably your parents went through probably worse than you've ever faced and because they are switched on they've kept you safe to a degree and still strive to keep you safe so you should pay attention to what they say and recognize if everybody is saying something and it's great and it's highly valued it's probably detestable to god and you should listen to what your parents say so jesus tells them a little story so I have a little story that he starts to tell them. I like this story. It's one of my favorite stories because we can learn so much from this story. I don't know whether it's a parable. Some people say it's a parable. So that means that there aren't really any people involved in the thing. But if it is, it's a very unusual parable because Jesus actually calls the poor man by name. He calls him Lazarus as though he is an actual person. It's the only parable then that he... That it's at a phone. <laughs> uh, hey, he only gets one call, and it's always on Sunday morning about this time. <laughs> it's your mother. She wants to know where you are and when you're coming home. <laughs> okay. What was I saying? Hey? He, lo- he knows Lazarus by name. And um, it's the only parable, it's the only story that Jesus tells where he actually calls somebody by name. So some feel that this is, this is not so much a parable as is a, as a, as a telling. He tells the story that actually happened. 
And I like that. I think that that's probably the case. And I, I view it as that way anyway because Lazarus is there. I figure, okay, this is a story. The moral of the story is that the love of God and you love your fellow man and not love your stuff. Remember that he's talking to the religious leaders. They're all about the money. They're in it for the money. They're in it to make money. It was all about control and power and status. And it wasn't about God. It was about their stuff. In our society, which is a very materialistic society, we can be like them. We can become Christian and we can think, okay, being Christian is good. You know, I'm, not, I'm saving a lot of money now because I'm not spending in the wrong way. And then we become conscious that we have status and we have money and then we think, you know, maybe I'm... And we start falling into a pharisaical lifestyle. So this can speak to us very clearly. So here's the story. There's a rich man who's dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So he's very wealthy. He, he wears a three-piece suit. He walks around like he's an executive. He has a very fancy car. He drives around in his BMW. And he comes in through his electric gates in the morning or in the, in the evening, and then they close behind him. And he's very well to do. Let's just bring it up to speed. Uh, at the gate, at his gate, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So this is Darrow that's sitting outside. And every day they come and they put this guy who can't get around outside the rich man's electric gates, so to speak. So that as he's coming out, the gates open, he looks down and there is the man sitting with sores all over him on the sidewalk. A homeless individual outside his place. He's probably rung up the council a couple of times to move him on, but they take him away and bring him back again. So it's one of those terrible situations where you can't get rid of the man. Have you ever seen the plastic bag man, Ziggy, that sits there and people come and talk to him? Where is that? Up in Tawong. Coronation Drive, Tawong, up the top there. And he doesn't go in at night time. He sits there all day, every day, and has plastic bags around him. He sleeps at night time in his plastic bags and wakes in the morning and people come and talk to him and he just sits there. His name's Ziggy. If you're going through to Wong, he's in the park now, just down from the, the boys' grammar, but he's one of these guys. Covered in sores. Not healthy, unwell, and hungry, wishing that he could eat what was on the rich man's table. He's there every day. The rich man sees him every day. And the dogs, they come round him and they lick his wounds. They lick the sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, there's a description here of the afterlife. The beggar died, probably died sooner than the, old, the rich man. The beggar died and carried him to Abraham's side. Abraham's side in this picture is the picture of what it was like before Jesus died. There's a place where the dead go. One was called Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, and the other one was called... Uh, it wasn't purgatory. It was, uh, it was just hell. It was called hell. It wasn't Abraham's bosom. And the gap was between them. So we're going to say you're the, uh, 
the poor man and Abraham's beside you and we're going to say you are the rich man. Okay, so you can get the picture. You like that? You might like it as we go along. But anyway, here we go. So he called on him, Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So we have a picture on one side. It's kind of warm. Fire, how's your tongue? Hot. And on the other side, Lazarus sitting there, he's beside Abraham. Why Abraham? Why Abraham? Because Abraham is the father of faith. All those who have faith in Jesus, all those who have faith in God, be the Old Testament or New Testament, have gone to a place waiting for Jesus to come and take them home. That's how it was. So there was two places in this place called Hades. There was two places. There's the apartment of those who died in faith waiting that Jesus was coming. They waited for the Messiah. Even though they didn't see the Messiah, they waited. And there was those who died without faith in Jesus, who had faith in their money, who had faith in all the other things that were on this world and neglected. And he says there was a gap between them and they could see across it. This man was aware of his life, aware of what he was doing, and aware of who he was. And he was aware of what was happening to him physically. He was aware that it was very, very hot where he was. He was aware that he could see Lazarus in the cool over the other side being comforted. He was aware he was agony in agony. He was aware of himself. So when you died, Jesus was telling, don't think it all goes and it disappears. He says, it doesn't. He says, you just enter through a door into eternity, into another place, a place where you are aware of what is going on to you and on around you. And you can recall where you have come from. That's a bit scary, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people just say, oh, when you die, it's all over. Jesus didn't actually say that. He didn't actually say, when you die, it's all over. He didn't say, when you die, you're going to pop into non-existence. The Jehovah's Witnesses will tell us that when you die, if you haven't been a good boy, you'll pop into non-existence because they don't like the idea of hell or hellfire. And the reason they don't like that is that they, how can a loving God send an individual to such a horrible place? Well, what they don't understand is our loving God is also a holy God. And a holy God cannot but punish that which is unholy. It's just like a policeman. If a policeman knows you've done something wrong and turns a blind eye to it, then you know that the policeman is corrupt. God is not a corrupt policeman who will turn a blind eye to the things that are wrong. If you do something that's really bad in this life and you don't get called for it, when you go to the next life, you will be called for it because you'll have to give an account to God. He is just and a holy God. So Jesus, this is not the Old Testament telling Jesus has come from this place and he's telling us about this place. A bit scary if you think about it too much. So you're still thirsty. And then, friends, he's still there and he is still thirsty. 2,000 years later. But Abraham replied... Son, remember that in the lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that, you, that those who want to go from here to there or cannot, cannot and, and 
nor can anyone come across from there to us. So he's saying, there's been set a chasm. Now we're told when Jesus came, he came and took, in Ephesians chapter 4, he took those who were believing, he took them away to be with him in heaven. So absent from the body is present with the Lord. So this place ceases to exist. This place still remains. Hades still remains. The Bible says it's... And in the last days, when, when, when judgment on the great white throne is called, this place will be picked up and thrown into Gehenna or the fire that burns forever and ever and a day. It's a horrible, horrible... You see, when we talk about what comes next, we either have to agree with what the Word of God says and build that into our worldview, or we decide to ignore what the Word of God says, dismiss it and say, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in a devil, and I don't believe in a hell. And I don't believe in life after death. Now you can do that all your life, but there is one thing that you cannot do. You cannot stop the day of your death. And then even if you've said all your life and you've convinced thousands or millions of people all your life that it does not exist, it will not happen, and you can walk boldly through life, snuffing at God and saying, I don't believe in the devil. One day when you die, you're out of control. And what the creator of this world has said will be revealed and you'll have to deal with it. The deception can only last as long as you're alive. The deception can only last as long as you refuse the word of God. As soon as you die, because you can't live forever, the truth will be known. Now, For this man, the poor man, even though he was poor, he had faith in God. Which says to me, you don't faith in God doesn't necessarily bring you riches. Faith in God doesn't necessarily mean that your status as an individual is going to be up here. Faith in God may mean that you have an eternal hope in God, even if your life here sucks so bad that you die soon. But I would rather die soon and have faith in God and live with him forever than live long in this earth and have status among men and live separated from God forever. You need to think that one through a little bit. He answered, I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. This is probably the first time this rich man has stopped and thought about anybody else. All of his life, he lived his whole life thinking about himself. All of his life, he was focused on himself. He walked past Lazarus. He drove past Lazarus. He looked at Lazarus every day because he was set in front of Lazarus every day. And every day he dismissed Lazarus from his mind till he didn't even see him anymore. And now he's aware of it. And now he's conscious of the the drastic mistake he's made. And his mind travels back to his family. 
He loves his family. And he says, send Lazarus back and tell him, don't come to this place. It's the first time he's thought about others. Send Lazarus to tell them not to come. When I was pining in a church in, in um, the Blue Mountains, I was sharing, I, I got told a, a lady down the road had just lost her husband a couple of years ago and she was distraught and wasn't getting, making, and she was a friend of some of the people that I'd visited and she said, can you go and see this lady? So I said, okay. I went there and I sat with her and I said, how can I help you, you know? Well, thanks for coming, you know. I don't know whether I believe in God. But, you know, and, you know, my husband died and I don't know what to do, you know. I said, why don't you just believe in Jesus? Let's have a talk about Jesus, what Jesus does for you. And let's have a talk about what he said. Yeah, but I don't want to go to anywhere where my husband is not. My husband was an atheist. I said, hmm, if your husband was an atheist, then he's at a place where there is no God, hey, where God is not or where those who don't love God is. And if you believe the Christian view, I said, that's not a good place to be in. I said, what would he be saying to you? If he was there, what would he be saying to you? I don't know. How could you even know that? How would you even know anything like that? I said, well, actually, in Luke chapter 16, we get a picture of that exactly. And we get a picture of what somebody who was very well to do, who didn't have any time for God, was saying once he got there. I said, do you want to read it with me? So I read it to her. Please send Lazarus to my brothers and tell them not to come here. And I said, if you could hear something from the... That's probably what he'd be saying to you. Don't come to this place. You spend some time on reflecting on it. And she gave her heart to Jesus. To follow Jesus. She didn't want to go to be with her husband if her husband was saying when he was there, don't come here, whatever you do, don't come here. Sobering word. And he's saying this to religious leaders who think they've got it all together. He's saying it to people who love the thing that they're doing because it makes them lots of money. He's saying this to to people who think that they can fool God while they're alive, walk around with status and importance and think that at the end they get away with it. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, this story tells me that you're not going to get away with it for long. That the very people that you're ripping off, the very people that you are uh, 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 hurting and minimalizing and ignoring in life, they're the people that love Jesus and are going to be found on the other side and you are going to spend a long time thinking about it, suffering about it. So no, Abraham says, but if one should rise from the dead, they will repent. So this man is thinking very hard about his brothers. Send Lazarus back from the dead. Even if he raises from the dead, they'll believe it because they see something. And he says, you know what? He says, even if someone is raised from the dead, they will not be convinced. And there he's talking about the fact that he was going to be raised from the dead. And still people don't believe. One of the strong faiths in a Christian, one of the strong supports for the Christian faith is the fact that there is no tomb with Jesus' body in it. He was raised from the dead. 
It was stated he was raised from the dead. He was seen by witnesses who saw him alive from the dead. From over 500 people at one time saw him and they testified to it. It's written in the word of God and it stands as the foundational stone for why Jesus is not like Muhammad, why Jesus is not like anybody else, because Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. And still people don't believe. So he's true. It was true. He says, even if somebody rises from the dead, they won't believe. So we need to ask ourselves the question with this story. What can we learn from it? What can we learn from this story? We can learn about God's love and his grace and about God's holiness. That's the first thing. The fact that there are two sides is a wonderful comfort to me. The fact that there is a place for us when we go after this life, when we go through the door and go into eternity, God has prepared a place for us. It says to me that God loves us, that he cares about us, he's not isolated from us, he sees us in our plight, and he said, you know what, I can save you from your sins, I can save you from the consequences of your sin, I can save you and redeem you, and I am preparing a place for you. It tells us that God cares about us and loves us deeply. And we think, well, I can't do anything about it. I can't, I can't change the way I am. I, I'm stuck. He says, I know you're stuck. That's why I'm going to give my spirit to you and give you grace to help you to get over it. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you're going to get there on my back, not on your own. I'm going to give you the ticket. I'm going to give you the cloak of righteousness. When you stand before God, God will see my goodness, not yours. And you will come in. That tells me God is good. Very good and loving. He's full of grace to us. But when we have this story, it also shows us that God is holy. And that if you reject God and you turn away from God and you say, I'm not going to listen to God. I don't want to have any of this religious crap. I don't, want to be, I don't believe that Jesus was alive. I don't believe. I just, I think we evolved from whatever it was we evolved from, even though that's all sounding very stupid now. And maybe we, maybe we're seeded from aliens. I don't know. But anyway, wherever we came from, it's not from God because God has morality and I don't want morality. So let's chuck God out the window and let's live for ourselves. Let's live in ourselves and let's do what we want. And don't anybody judge us because who are you to judge me? And the problem with that is what can God do with you? Well, I've got to punish you, says God, because if I don't punish you when you do the wrong thing and I let you come into this place, you're going to hate me here anyway. And I have to punish the wrong because I am right and holy and holiness must punish the wrong. So the devil and all his angels are going to get punished. And those who follow the devil and all his angels and follow the ways of the devil and all his angels will be punished as well. Their punishment must come because God is good. God is holy. So this parable tells me, the story tells me, God is loving and God is holy. So don't mess with God. What else does it tell me? tells me we can learn about the connection between loving God and loving our fellow man. I mean, every single day of our lives, we get choices to make. 
about those who are less fortunate than us. Every single day. Every single day if we are rich people into, and we are in the top 90% of the richest people in the world in Australia, that's the, tra- that's the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> if you haven't got money and you're getting something from Centrelink, thank Jesus for Centrelink because you are now in the top. You, go, you can't get Centrelink in the Philippines. You can't get any of that sort of stuff in other countries in Africa. You don't have anything. You don't get anything. You're going to die. And that's about what it is. Then in Australia, you're rich. There's no people starving in Australia. Oh, there's people go without food, but it's probably because they haven't found out where the nearest soup kitchen is or they took their last lot of money and they wasted it somewhere on the, on the tab or gambling or drinking or drugs. But generally speaking, everything's looked after in Australia. Generally speaking, you're looked after in Australia. Now, friends, <clears throat> this tells us about our responsibility for our loved ones. So rather than play the victim and say, oh, poor me, just think about it. If you had considered to be the wealthy ones, and even if you were on some pension or something like that, you still have enough to be kind and generous to others. You still have enough to share the meager amounts that you have with others because somehow God has just put you in a pleasant place where God makes your your life pleasant. It's called Australia. You're living in Australia. So every day you face people who are in need. Every day you face people who are in need because of their foolishness. Every day you face people who are in need because of their circumstances. Sometimes it's their upbringing. Sometimes it's all kinds of situations. It might be just, just bad, bad situations that close around them. And it's tough for them. But you face them every day. And every day you get to make choices about what you will do with these people. Now you can be cold-hearted like a Pharisee and say, you know what, I, I just stick around my church and I do what my church wants me to do. And I just, and I see someone in the street, I think, you know, I can't help everybody. But there are some things you can do, you know. The first thing you've got to do is listen to God. Love God with all your heart. Because if you're loving God with all your heart, then he will tell you where to help, what you can do and how to do it. I mean, you can run out into the big wide wilderness. You can see broken people all around. You can say, oh, and you can spend yourself and die in a week just trying to help everybody. There's so many people out there that need. And that's probably not what God wants you to do. He says, walk in the spirit Live in the Spirit. Keep step with the Spirit. So you need to maybe think, God, what would you have me to do? I know I'm wealthy. I know I don't have much. But what I have, I could buy a cup of coffee for somebody. What I have, I could even take a glass of cold water to somebody. What I have, I could go and do a kind deed for somebody. I could could do something. I, I could smile. I could give an ear to listen. I can stop and sit on a park bench and talk to somebody who's like they look like they need a friend. I could do something. God, what would you have me do? Or you could be the rich man who just closes his eyes and walks off in life and does your own thing and ignores what's around you. Friends, we're not called to ignore the things that are around us. We're called to love God with all of our hearts and to love our fellow man as ourselves. 
One of the most important things in life is getting the mix right. Loving God right and loving our fellow man right. If you love stuff, you will use people. If you love things, you will use people to get things. If you love people, you are free to use things to help people. And in our society, we get confused about what we should be loving. We love the stuff before we love the person. And we use the person to get the stuff rather than love God and love our fellow man. You need to think about those things. To rest with you. Because God may be dealing with you in those things. What else can we learn? Well, this passage tells us this is a disaster happening if you don't get the focus right before you die. There's a disaster waiting if you go around life ignoring God and ignoring your fellow man. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. It doesn't impress God how wealthy you are. It doesn't impress God how much influence you have. What impresses God is whether you love God and you use what God has given you to help other people. That's what's impressing God. God wants to talk to us today. He wants to draw us as a fellowship to a better place, to a different place than we have been before. You know, and I've told you before, we don't need your money. So there's no point here to say, you're just looking for money, Mark. We're not. We didn't even take an offering up. What I want you to do is not miss out on the wonderful blessing it is to live for God and live for others with the little that you do have if you don't have much. You know, if you can think about someone who can be encouraged and you can go and buy a card and write some nice words in them and send them a, a, a Cheerio bar or whatever, a Mars bar to them and say, have a nice day. I was thought about you and praying for you. What a wonderful thing. I know postage has gone up to a dollar now. Oh, dear, what will we... It will cost you an arm and a leg to just to send it. We'll just take it around and drop it in their letterbox. I want you to enjoy what it is to live with Jesus and love your fellow man and to enjoy life now with Jesus. You have some wonderful opportunities before you. Don't get caught with the nonsense. Don't get caught chasing the trash when the treasure is sitting right in front of you. Oh, 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 what could happen this week? Just imagine what could happen this week if we would just wake up and think, I could do one thing to demonstrate that God owns everything that I have to be kind to somebody else. Well, if there's, what, there's 80, 90 people here today, 
What have everybody decided? Do one thing to be kind and generous and graceful to somebody else who is less fortunate than they. What an impact that Jesus could have in our community. Does that excite you? What if you did that every day for a year? What would happen? How would people see Jesus in your life if you learned to do that? Oh, Jesus, help us to do that. Amen? Oh, help us to be what God wants us to be. Help us not to go a day without recognizing the potential and the opportunities that are given. Let us not be religiously pious people who walk around with their noses in the air, who look like they got something wrong with them and not see the opportunities that are there in front of us. (laughs) Children. Well, I don't get any pocket money. I don't have anything that I can do to give to the poor. Because my father won't give me pocket money and my mother won't give me pocket money. So I got nothing. You know what you could do, Seth? You know what you could do without being asked? You could wake up in the morning. You'd say, I'm going to see Uncle Kevin down the road and ask if I can do something to help him out. It doesn't take much. He's just down the road. You don't need pocket money to do that, buddy. Just need a heart to love. Just need a heart. Well, I don't get any money. So I can't buy anything. If my mother were to give me money, you know what I'd do? I'd just spend it on rubbish anyway. (laughs) But when the dishes are done and your mum's cooked the dinner... You could say, hey, mom, you know what I want to show you? I want to show you that I love you and I love God and you don't have to do anything now. I'm going to make you a cup of tea. Sit down and enjoy. I will do the dishes myself. (laughs) Hey, this is not foreign stuff. This is the same idea. Those needs present themselves to you on a daily basis. You see with your eyes the things that could be done. You see the poor people that are suffering. And if you choose to turn your blind eye to the dishes when they're sitting there need to be done, you will choose to turn your blind eye to old Lazarus who's sitting at your gate when you're wealthy. When you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the big things. If you are not faithful in the little things, do not think that you will change once you've got the ability. Start now. Look at your opportunities on a daily basis. Amen? Amen. And all the young ones who can do dishes and it doesn't cost anyone said. Oh, oh, bliss is coming. Heaven is almost here. (laughs) Our kids have all grown up. It's the grandkids we've got to train now. And Miller's already started to do the dishes like a good girl. She gets out the little stool. She sits it up by the dishes and she steps up on the stool. Then he washes the dishes, gives it to her. She wipes it with it. She gets down, pulls out the drawer, puts it away. I got it on video. You could learn something from a child. Some of you big ones. Out of the mouths of babies, buddy. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's stand up, shall we?
have eye closed and just be thinking now. Jesus has said some very strong things to us today. He said, you can love me and you can love your fellow man and you can use the stuff I've given you to make this place a better place. Or you can ignore me, you can ignore your fellow man and hope that there's no horrible place at the end to go visit. Friends, you might be here today and you've never sort of said, I want to make sure that I love God. I've never ever said, Lord, I want to love you. I want to put you in the center of my life. And you want to do that today. You want to say, Lord, I want to change. I want my life to focus on you now. I've focused on too many other things. Now I want to focus on you. If that's you and you want to make that fundamental shift from yourself to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you today. Keep your eyes closed and your heads bound. Just raise your hand. Make it before God. Jesus, I want you to be the center from today. Okay, I see all your hands. I'm going to pray right now for those who raise their hands. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you and I ask you Take center of place in my life. Help me, Jesus, to get it right. To love you, to love my fellow man, and to use the things that you have given me for that purpose. I ask you to forgive me from my selfishness and cleanse me so that I can live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pray for this whole fellowship that we can excite within us the, the will to do what God wants us to do. Father, I pray for this fellowship and ask that you would strengthen them by your Spirit. Lord, that this truth would be embedded in their lives, Father, that they would receive from you the wisdom that comes from your word. Lord, the warnings that are there, Father, that they would understand those warnings. And Father, that you would help them to put in practice the very things that you've been speaking to them today. Father, change our lives collectively so that we can be for you a light that shines in a dark place. Change us so much so, Lord Jesus, that our lights reflect you. And Lord, that you would shine through us to those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, use us until you come again. And everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you.